0: From
1: and one story that always kind of captures my imagination is
0: <laughs>
1: the the streets lost culture. <laughs> and you're listening to Kerning Cultures. Hi, this is Dana. We won't be releasing any new episodes for the next couple of months. We're away producing and reporting our autumn season, which will be out in September. But in the meantime, we want to bring back a few of our favorite episodes from the past. And if you're new to current cultures, you might not have heard them before. This week's episode is called The Things That Can't Speak, and it originally aired in 2018. Rani Shatta started giving walking tours of Beirut in the late 2000s, during a period of stability for Lebanon. He would guide people through Beirut, telling stories of Phoenician ruins, French architecture, and Ottoman houses. He'd also talk about Lebanon's civil war and the political unrest that followed. And a lot of these stories, they were stories about other people, other times, other eras, and other lives. Until December of 2013, when Ronnie's own life was sucked into the political unrest that he'd spent years talking about on his tour. I personally also remember that day really well. Here's producer Alex Atak with this story.
2: You can get a bit loud at this stop. If you can't hear what I'm saying, just tell me to project. Can
0: everyone hear me? Good. So we're standing in front of the Holiday Inn in downtown Beirut, which is basically seen as one of the city's most obvious reminders of the civil war. It stands shelled out and dotted with bullet holes. It's this kind of grey hunk of tower.
3: It's a monster right in the heart of the city.
0: This is Ronnie.
3: Ronnie Shata. I guess the best title for me is storyteller or narrator of the city's past.
0: And if you stand at the bottom of it and look up, you kind of see where all of the old windows used to be and where all of the old balconies would have looked out over the Mediterranean. But now they're just these empty black holes. And the cliched story that kind of gets told again and again is that the hotel is this monument to the juxtaposition of Beirut's past and present. But when I stood under it with Ronnie, watching him give his walking tour to about 40 people, he told a more personal story. The Holiday Inn was famous for three things. Its size,
3: that rotating balcony, the restaurant at the top, and lesser known fact which the luxury cinema, a boutique cinema below it called the St. Charles. And we're talking, I mean, leather chairs and velvet curtains and all that. So, you know, if you wanted to impress your date, you would take them to that cinema or maybe take them to the restaurant upstairs.
0: He kind of half jokingly told us that he himself is a product of the hotel. Right before the war started, his parents had one of their first dates there.
3: One of their first romantic dates, so it's also a way to look back, even if it's falling apart and stripped bare and war-torn.
0: The hotels which made Beirut the tourist center of the Middle East are now strategic forts, one in street by street, floor by floor battle. One of the most iconic images to emerge from the war is a billow of black smoke rising from a fire inside the hotel
3: it was so well covered during the Civil War. There is so much footage of the Holiday and I mean, you can stand there, you can see it, you can listen to stories about it. You can also go home and watch what happened. You can actually watch it falling apart. You can watch it on fire. You can watch people getting killed. And I think that is part of the Holiday and stories, that it was so well covered, it became almost uh, the telltale for who was winning and who was losing during the Civil War.
0: The hotel was only open for one year when the Lebanese Civil War broke out. And when it did, Ronnie's parents left Lebanon for America. They fled
3: in 1976, one year into the Civil War.
0: His dad got a visa to move to Texas.
3: To study at the University of Texas. That's where I was born.
0: So Ronnie wasn't born in Lebanon, but his early relationship to the country was formed through these kind of story books, uh, these nostalgia books, as he calls them.
3: Our home was full of these nostalgia books. So you have these uh, sort of old pictures of the country before the war broke out. These are 1960s photos, early 1970s. And it's funny to see how different this country is today. That it's so built up now. It's hard to, it's hard to really experience the glory days of, of Beirut and Lebanon. Because I think that's that's permanently gone. But these photos are nice to kind of almost like an exercise in imagination to see what the country used to
0: look like. And these photos he's talking about, they're the kind of photos that you see at every tourist shop in Beirut. They're these kind of highly saturated, uh, rose-tinted tributes to Beirut's glory days. They show the city locked in a state of prosperity that it never really returned to after the war. My memories,
3: earliest memories of Beirut are war-torn downtown. In the early 90s, you could still see A lot of the mess that was left from the Civil War. You had trees everywhere, you had stray dogs. There were still landmines. You couldn't go anywhere
0: without sort of having uh, some guided access. It was risky. So Ronnie grew up with Beirut under reconstruction, and those same neighborhoods that he'd known to be unsafe, by the time he was older, they'd transformed into what you'd now recognize as downtown Beirut. And so in 2006, he started giving these kind of informal tours to visiting students.
3: The walking tour itself was something I I discovered by accident. I was visiting Berlin in 2002. And all I knew about Berlin was war, Cold War, wall, all that. And I was lost. But then I actually joined a walking tour there. I think it was about six hours long. And it, I, I enjoyed it so much. And I felt like I that I was now part of an experience a part of a story and I really enjoyed it really really enjoyed it so that was there in the background a few years later I was maybe unintentionally without realizing it I was trying to sort of replicate that kind of experience here
0: when he started out he'd just take his groups uh into Ras Beirut and then a little bit into downtown and he was doing that for a few years And then by 2009...
2: Beirut hopes to cap over two million visitors in the year 2009. And when you consider the population of Beirut, that doubles the population of Beirut.
3: It's one of the last bastions of coexistence in a region beset by war. On the
1: surface, at least, the city is reunited.
3: 2009 was a good year for the country. We were sort of celebrated. This was the number one city to visit, according to The New York Times. And uh, a few Western outlets were very favorable towards Beirut. So there was a wave of tourism. People were looking for a walking tour, and I was the only one offering that kind of tour. Because I think Beirut is very hard to explain. A good example is a neighborhood like Martyrs Square. You could go there today and have no idea what that thing is. It's a broken statue in the middle of a giant parking lot. You need someone to actually tell you what this is and that Martyr's Square is where this country has tried three times to get it right. This is the same location Beirutis went to to challenge Turkish rule. It's the same location where Lebanese demanded the French leave. And not too long ago, it was where at least a million Lebanese showed up calling on the Syrians to leave. And
0: that's what makes it magical, even today. He was telling stories of Beirut's best days and its worst days and he said that he'd always tried to remain objective in the version of events that he told. But in 2013, his own family was sucked into the story of political unrest that he'd recounted hundreds of times.
3: It was a massive car bombing and an echo throughout the city and most assassinations, you can hear them when you're in Beirut. Um, I heard the explosion. And for a few minutes, I thought this there was a construction site next to where I was living. I thought something may have fallen. But by maybe maybe fifteen, twenty minutes after it happened, my intercom was buzzing. My friend who helps on the tour, she she sort of came over. and she had heard on the news she was in a taxi on the radio. she had heard that it was my father.
0: Ronnie's dad, who was a Lebanese politician was assassinated in downtown Beirut.
3: I found out by basically pushing her away from me because she did not want me to see my phone. I went outside the apartment, I left her inside. I went to my phone and like within a, maybe a few seconds after that, I realized what had happened. And then after that, everything went to hell. You begin living the rotten part of Lebanon. It becomes part of you.
0: Two days later, Ronnie buried his dad just next to Martyrs Square. And this was a place that Ronnie had always told the history of on his tour. But now the square had taken on a whole new meaning for him. He stopped doing the tour entirely, and he says he just didn't want to be in Lebanon anymore.
3: I didn't think I could do anything here if I was, especially if I wasn't doing the tour. I thought that what am I still doing here? My father was killed. There's no there's no trial. His the, crim, the criminals that did this got away. Why am I still here? This country, by and large, when there's an assassination, there's either no investigation or there's no, there's no attempt to really punish those involved.
0: So in September of 2014, he moved to Scotland.
3: Never imagined that I would end up in Scotland. Never thought I'd visit Scotland or go there my girlfriend, who's now my fiancé, she was accepted to a University of of Edinburgh. And uh, we agreed that we would leave this country together.
0: Over the next four years, he studied for his master's in literature. And at the start of this year, at the start of 2018, he came back to Lebanon just for a visit.
3: I had detached myself for a long time. I had not been back for years, so I decided to see everyone that I missed dearly, and sort of just come to terms a bit.
0: An education program had been started in his dad's name, and he said he just wanted to raise some extra funds to cover the cost of it. So he did the tour one more time.
3: I just literally thought, you know what, I'll do it one more time.
0: But when he started publicizing it, nearly 500 people emailed him wanting to book a spot.
3: And you cannot do 500 (laughs) people. This just doesn't work. So I said, I'd spread them out over a course of three or four tours. A few hundred people were still booking. So it's like it reached insane levels very early on. So I'm like, you know, no, I have to stay and do this a little longer. And I've been doing it every week since January.
0: We'll be back after the break.
1: This episode is sponsored by TAP Payments. If you have a website or an application or sell products online and you need a payment gateway to send and accept payments to your customers, GoSell from TAP Payments provides you with an easy, fast, and secure payment gateway. TAP features include activating and linking your site with a click of a button. It supports all of Saudi Arabia and Gulf banks. It supports all the preferred payment methods for your customers in Saudi Arabia and abroad. TAP is licensed by the Gulf Central Banks and serves more than 70,000 merchants in the Gulf and the region. Find out about GoSell through the link provided in the show notes.
0: When he started the tour again, he only gave a small mention to his personal connection with Martyrs Square. He said that he was worried about making it too much about himself. I thought it's not fair to
3: tell a story that you're a part of. That if you're gonna be a neutral storyteller, just say things as they are and not get into it. But you know what? It just doesn't feel right. So in April, I just said, that's that's it. I can't do this. I have to get into the story. So then I flipped that stop on its head.
0: I went on Ronnie's walking tour this summer and at the end of the tour, we all gathered around the statue in the middle of Martyr's Square. And once everybody had sat in a circle, Ronnie paced around the group and read a piece of writing that he'd written during those four years in Scotland.
2: You're holding what's left of him. The 11th assassination in that decade of death. His opponents, fearful of compromise, chose to end him in broad daylight. With his weight above and below me, I honor that truth. Despite the country's divisions, despite its delusions, this is the place we rally our cause. In pain and prosperity, through triumph and tragedy, my Buddhist, my father, my martyr, my honor. I stopped giving the tour December 27, 2013, the day my father was assassinated. But I hope you, en- I hope you enjoyed this part of the tour. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little emotional. Mm. Amazing. As a way of saying thank you for letting me share this with you.
0: When he was finished, he started handing out these postcards. And on the postcard he gave me was a photograph of Martyr's Square which was taken just a year before the civil war started. It shows a square lined with tall palm trees and manicured hedges. The pavements are packed with pedestrians, and the roads are lined with classic sports cars. In the middle of the picture stands the same statue that we were standing underneath. But that's the only thing that stayed the same. When you look around you, only one of the original buildings from Martyrs' Square still stands. And nowadays it's a Dunkin Donut. These are the same kinds of photographs that Ronnie's parents had taken with them to Texas in those picture books and that they'd held on to for all those years.
3: I love bringing that statue to life and that part of the part of Beirut's past back to life. And you can also look over and you see your father's tomb and you can actually pay tribute to him. There's only one way to really recover from this kind of experience, and that is to share it and let it out. And I think I bottled it up. Being in the middle of it, standing where your father's buried, talking about the part of the city that matters most in its history, and letting it all out, I think you feel better afterwards.
0: And then the last stop on the tour is Samir Qasir Garden. It's this kind of calm, canopied fountain right in the middle of Beirut. And on the end of the bench is a statue of Samir Qasir, who was a well-known Lebanese journalist. And if you go further down the ledge, there's some inscriptions on the stone, which Ronnie kind of gathers everyone around and points them out. He asks if anyone in the group can read French, and someone puts their hand up, stands up and reads the quote. Beirut, dans sa and when he's done, Ronnie pulls a fez out from somewhere ...and puts it on his head as a gift. <laughs> like us. Yes. And then he reads the quote to us in English.
2: He starts off by saying Beirut... ...extraordinary, extroverted in its wealth and prosperity. We are still extraordinary in our wealth. But Beirut is as extraordinary, as extroverted... ...in its decay, in its ruins. Torn between stability and instability... ...between prosperity and war. Samir Asir was obsessed with our history. And he was the first Lebanese killed after Rafik Hadidi's death. And I think his passion for our history cost him his life. And I think he got it right. And we saw a lot of Beirut's prosperity, but we saw as much of its decay. But I know for a fact we walked the streets the way he would have wanted. He was the insp- inspiration for this tour many years ago. 13 years later, I hope the tour inspired me. The weather was terrific. You guys were fantastic. So thank you for joining. I appreciate it.
3: The only way to actually live the city's history is to actually walk through it and maybe get a little dirty in the process and sweaty and scream over construction and traffic and all those things. Um, but that's the only way. At, at least in my opinion, I think there's no there's no better way of doing it.
2: If you need to walk to where we started, walk down this street and keep walking. In about 15 minutes you'll reach the meeting point. Again, thank you so much guys. Thank you.
1: This episode was produced by Alex Atak and edited by me, Dana Balut, with help from Hibba Fisher. Sound designed by Alex Atak and Mohamed Khreizat, Bella Ibrahim is our marketing manager. Ronnie stopped doing his walking tours during the pandemic, but he started a companion podcast featuring stories and interviews about Beirut. It's called The Beirut's Banyan, and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. It's a lovely show.